Welcome to the Doctrine Matters Podcast, a tool to help believers rediscover true biblical doctrine and to help them understand and live out their faith in their homes, in their churches, and in their communities. Thank you for listening to this episode. Let's get right to it. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Doctrine Matters podcast. And the last episode that we had, I told you that I was not going to talk about the Asbury Revival anymore, and I'm not really going to talk about it much. I do want to show you two things that are really circulating right now, and there's one thing that I really want to point out that I heard this evening as I was watching a video. Now, I'm going to show you that video and it kind of cuts off at the end, but you can still hear it. And I know exactly what the rest of the sentence is, but there's enough on this one video that I'm going to play for you on this episode for you to understand what's happening here. And it's actually the time that there was a demon cast out of someone on the floor there at Asbury University in the auditorium where this revival has been taking place now for I guess about 10, 11, 12, 13 days now. I'm not real sure the number at this point. I'll, I do know that it's coming to a close. As a matter of fact, as of today, 2-20-23, I believe that they're significantly limiting who can be in there now because traffic is just kind of shut down Wilmore, Kentucky, and the people are upset about the traffic. So they have decided to change the schedule once again and end this revival earlier than expected. You know, that move of God that man can stop and start or vice versa. Uh, anyway, I had my thoughts on that on the last episode. I don't want to get into that this time, but I do want to show you a couple things that are uh, more warning signs. I know that the debate still rages, and again, I still hold the um, I still hold the the same stance that I have held ever since we began talking about this thing, and that is that I respect your opinion either way, whether you believe this is a a true revival and 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 truly of God, or if you don't, or if you're somewhere in the middle. Again, I was somewhere in the middle, and um, now I believe I am uh, kind of on the right side saying this is not a re- true revival. Anyway, not going to get into that, but I do want to continue to warn you. We do still need to test the spirits. That is one thing that I told you that we can need to continue to do in all things, not just anything that says it's a revival, but we need to test the spirits in all things. And I want to show you some things that you may have already seen because this has already been out before, but I, I've heard more talk about it. And I think it's worth bringing up to you right now. And it's this Bob Jones prophecy. If the Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl, revival will sweep across the world, I believe it is. Um, in 2020, and I'm going to read this to you. God TV reported about Bob Jones's prophecy on the Kansas City Chiefs. Their 2020 Super Bowl win made headlines as it was a historical moment for the Chiefs as it had been 50 long years since their last championship. What's more, the prophecy said it would be a sign of revival coming to America. Sean Boltz shared in a Facebook post, Bob Jones had heard from God that the Chiefs would go to the Super Bowl and win it. He shared that when they win it, it would be a sign of upcoming and end time revival. Now, this was actually prophesied back in 2020. And uh, I believe, uh, actually, it was before 2020 when Bob Jones made the prophecy. And uh, the Chiefs ended up winning the Super Bowl. Now, if you hear Todd Bentley say, the reason revival didn't sweep across the nation then is because COVID shut everything down. Now, track this with me just for a second. Are we saying that if we believe what Bob Jones says, what Todd Bentley says, which both of these people are wolves in sheep's clothing, and I don't even know if you'd call them in sheep's clothing. I just I just think they're outright wolves. But are we going to believe that COVID is more powerful than God? That God is going to put revival on hold because of a pandemic? Because that is essentially what Todd Bentley said just as recent as a week and a half ago in one of his Facebook lives, that the reason revival didn't sweep across the nation when the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl, uh, I think it was 2019 or 2020, whenever it was that they won the Super Bowl uh, the first time, uh, recently, the first time, uh, is because you know it didn't sweep across because COVID. 
And we're just to believe that, first of all, that they heard from God audibly. And let me just put some scripture on this, why I believe that nobody hears from God audibly. And this is my biblical conviction. People in my comments may be a little different. They may lean on the charismatic side, which I've had some in my comments, and I welcome all of you. Thank you for commenting, even if it's to call me a pharisaical piranha or any other kind of name. But I am thankful for your comments, and I thank you for the ones that have had actually some um, uh, good comments, and they weren't terrible. But here's the reason I don't believe that anyone hears audibly from God anymore, because of Hebrews Chapter 1, verse 1, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also created the world. So he is speaking through Christ. And if you were to go back to the Gospel of John, this is where I'm, I'm tying up the reason. And this is not just all the reasons, it's not just all the scriptures, but it is uh, a healthy reason why I don't believe that we can hear audibly from God, and there's there's no more prophecy today because the Bible has been closed, the canon is closed, we have genera- Genesis to Revelation, and we don't need anything extra because God has given us all that we need in this life. So if God has spoken through his Son, if we look back at John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word being with God and was God, the word is Jesus, and Jesus speaks through the Bible. This is the word of God, and we have everything we need right here in these scriptures. So first and foremost, I don't believe that Bob Jones heard from God audibly, and to think this is something silly that God would even relate football to a sweeping revival across the nation is just kind of silly to me. Could God do that? Absolutely, but I don't know uh, what kind of investment God has in the National Football League or specifically the Kansas City Chiefs, but um, if that's what God wanted to do, he he would do it. But um, I don't think that that is what happened because when they won the Super Bowl, COVID shut everything down and ultimately makes Bob Jones a false prophet. But wait, 2023, the Kansas City Chiefs win an exciting Super Bowl. They made the history books as they defeated the Philadelphia Eagles 38 to 35, according to BBC. What's interesting is that this time revival is happening at Asbury College. Many Christians are posting about the prophecy again, believing that these events are connected. No, when the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, this will happen. The Chiefs won the Super Bowl, COVID happened. This year, the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, and this revival of sorts takes place and begins to sweep across this campus. And ultimately from this, we've seen other schools and other churches kind of pop up and have quote unquote revival. And um, I just, it's one of those things where you got to be very careful when you try to discern a revival by a false prophet, Bob Jones. And uh, that is exactly what that is. And that is a false prophecy that did not come to fruition, and I do not believe that the two events are connected even today. So I wanted to present that to you just so you can be mindful of what uh, is going on out there and what people are actually saying. Now, here's another thing, and then we're going to get into some more biblical stuff and get kind of a, and really and truly get away from Asbury revival. Um, but I do want to, these just things have to be out there for you to understand and try to unpack and try to understand. And uh, that's what a lot of people are using and saying, well, this prophecy was told. This is the reason this is happening. I don't think so. Um, If you can sway me any other way, feel free to do so in the comments. Um, But there's another thing here that I need you to see, but I need you to listen to more than anything. Now, this is and you're going to see it on your screen. If you're not seeing it, you'll hear it. It's the woman getting freed from demonic oppression. Now, I've been telling you about this deliverance ministry that has really gained steam over the last couple of years. And uh, it's popular with um, uh, Salvador. I think his name is Israel or Isaiah Salvador and Greg Locke and some other guys like that, that they are, they're delivering demons. They are, uh, they say that Christians can be possessed by demons and multiple demons at that. And they are delivering these demons. And that is very 
uh, controversial. It is something that I believe flies in the face of Scripture, and I don't believe it's biblical, especially for a Christian to have demons, because when a Christian is saved, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. They are receiving the Holy Spirit. Therefore, a demon of the darkness cannot coexist with the light and be that God can't exist with a demon. So that in and of itself is is silly. So and I told you in a couple of videos back that it seems like the, the young lady was really hinting at at uh, this deliverance ministry. And even in the video yesterday, the, the, the guy that kicked off the revival with his message, he said that uh, the guy heard him say he, he is uh, rebuking the demon of embarrassment. So it seems like um, this deliverance ministry has kind of uh, got a foothold in this university, at least, and, and especially in this revival. But there's something that I want you to hear. We're going to play it. It's gonna, uh, this video is, looks like two minutes and 49 seconds. We're going to play this. And we're going to pay special attention to the very end. Now, what's going to happen, and I will pause it right before this happens, so if you're watching, you can see. It appears to be a man. I know there's a man because there's a man standing there right now. Uh, but uh, there's another man going to walk up, and I believe this is the guy that preached the original sermon. And if you've seen that, there's a lot of uh, lack of talk of repentance, sin, heaven, hell, uh, and, and gospel and all those things, but I believe it's the same guy, and he is going to say something after this quote-unquote demon was exercised from the floor at Asbury University. So I'm going to play this through, and I'm going to warn you, I think that this is going to be where uh, um, somebody screams, and this would be the demon coming out when she screams. She was having a medical episode of sorts. I've heard epilepsy and i've heard uh, a diabetic episode which could have led to the epilepsy but apparently she was having a seizure medical uh, personnel was trying to get to her and then somebody starts rebuking the demon inside of her and it, it quote unquote comes out and then we're going to listen to care carefully to what the guy says at the end but let me just uh let me play this here for us Right now they're going towards the, the young lady who is having a seizure. For those of you that are just listening, looks like they're pulling her out into the aisle now. Now you start hearing the rebuke from the lady. If you're not medical, please clear the aisle. Please, if you're back, if you're not medical, help. If you're not medical, help, please clear the aisle. So everybody should be clearing the aisle if they're not medical, help. But uh, the reports I've read on this say that. Uh, that didn't happen, and let's let's continue this video. If you're not medical help, step away. Medical emergency personnel, step away if you're not medical helpers. Jesus Christ. I read another Instagram post from someone that says that the Holy Spirit told them that it was a demon. So you heard the scream. That was the quote-unquote demon coming out of her. Okay, and if you're watching, there's a guy that just walked up to the other guy on stage. For those of you listening, I believe this is the original guy that 
preached the original message to start this off. Now, we're fixing to get into what he says, and it's very telling. Listen carefully. All right. He says, if this is new to you or confusing or have any questions, and then this TikTok video cuts off, I want you to hear it again because I know exactly what he's going to say after this because I've seen the longer video and, um, I want you to hear it with your ears, and then I want to tell you what he says. And this is, again, right after this deliverance happened right on the floor at Asbury University during this quote-unquote revival. If this is new to you or confusing, or if you have any questions, we have a team over here that can help you understand what happened. Essentially. They know what's going on. They understand the deliverance ministry. They're going to fill you in on kind of what's going on that's going to happen. That is essentially what this man says. If you have questions, if this is new to you, if it's confusing, then come over and talk to our team. They're going to help you out. So that is a red flag to me that says that they are involved in this deliverance ministry or in some way teaching it. Now, could I be wrong? Absolutely. Red flags don't necessarily mean you're right or wrong, but for me, this is a red flag when the guy says, if this is new to you or confusing, or if you have questions, we have a team set up right over here. You can come talk to them. So uh, again, red flag for me, and I uh, just wanted to put that out there so you could hear that so you can make whatever decisions that you need to make concerning this quote-unquote revival, although it is coming to an end. Now, we are apparently seeing people across the world who are hungering and thirsting for revival. Now, this is where we're going to flip, and we're going to get away from Asbury for a minute, and we're going to talk about revival and what it looks like in the Scripture. And I've heard two uh, two major things from the scriptures that people have pointed out that said, well, this has been a revival in the scriptures and this has been a revival in the scriptures. And that is, of course, the first major one people are talking about is the day of Pentecost when 3000 people were saved. So we're going to look at Acts chapter two just for a second. And then another one that people are pointing back to is John chapter four with the woman at the well and how she went back and told everybody about this man who who told her about everything she's ever done. And they're saying that that sparked revival as well. So let's just look at the text. And, and I think it's worth pointing out that we need to look at what revival is. And um, I've already kind of showed you what I don't believe it, what it is, and or, or at least what it isn't. But I think we need to look at these two things that, that people are calling um that people are calling revival in the scriptures and let's look at how different it is. And I guess that, I, I guess that we can compare it to Asbury, but I, I don't want to continue to harp on that. I think that I've made a, a pretty strong case. Hopefully uh, on just a few episodes, I could make 10 more episodes on things that I've seen, that I've heard, that I've witnessed, that I've watched. And uh, we could talk about that, but I don't, I don't want to do that, but I do want to, because we have so many people in our culture um, that are, craving revival, they see these things and uh, they want to flock to them. And which is, it, 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 that's fine, but revival doesn't happen in our emotions. It doesn't, it isn't something that necessarily stirs our emotions and, and gets our senses all riled up. It, it, it is truly something that um, God does through the Holy Spirit, of course, but it, he does it differently than what we've seen at Asbury and other place like places that we've seen. So um, let's look at let's look at uh, Acts chapter two really quickly, and then I want to show you some some other things 
that uh, Jonathan Edwards says that a uh, revival should look like. But Acts chapter 2, people are talking about the day of Pentecost. And if we were to look at the day of Pentecost, we, we see um, in Acts chapter 2, right there at the beginning, in verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And look, let's look down to, to verse 6. Each one was hearing them speak in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language. So let me just take a sidebar here and say that I, for one, do not believe that tongues are incoherent babble. Many times there is incoherent babble, no translator. The Bible says there must be a translator, but you hear robo yamba. You'll hear something like that. That is ero incoherent babble. That is not what tongues are. Tongues are languages that people hear the gospel in their own native language. So I've heard uh, somebody say it like this. If I were to go to Mexico and get right in the middle of uh, a Spanish-speaking people, they know zero English, and I just start speaking in English the gospel of Jesus Christ, if God used tongues or these languages, they would understand the gospel from my English-speaking mouth in their native language, which would be Spanish. So that's what happens here at the day of Pentecost. This isn't incoherent babble. This isn't some rambling on. This is a language that people heard the gospel in their own native language. So what happens then? Peter stands up and he preaches a very bold sermon at Pentecost. And I don't want to read um, all of this, but I will go to chapter 2, verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your holy one see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried in his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did he the flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, he has poured out this that you may yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And in verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This falls right in line with Ephesians chapter 1. From the word, the gospel that you heard, once you heard it, repented of your sins and believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That is exactly what we see happen here in Acts chapter 2. For the promises for you and your children and for all those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So this is what a lot of people are pointing to for a revival in the New Testament. This is much different than what we've seen kind of spark up across the nation, especially there in Wilmore, Kentucky. 
there has been many reports to say that there there hasn't really been much preaching of the gospel. And uh, and one brother said that the gospel, when it was preached, was simply Jesus has a your Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. That's not the gospel. We see here Peter preach on the death, burial, and resurrection, and even the ascension of Christ. And what must these brothers do? He says, repent and be baptized. And that day, 3,000 souls were added. So let's look what happened after this mass salvation. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all that had any need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what happened to spark, if we want to call this a revival, if we want to call Pentecost a revival, what happened to spark this revival? A solid, biblical bold preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 3,000 people came. So what did they do after that? Day by day, they went to the temple and they heard the preaching of the gospel, continually hearing the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the word. And look what it says in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the apostles are going to have sound doctrine. As a matter of fact, the apostles teach others to teach sound doctrine and promote sound doctrine. So these apostles that walk with Jesus, that talk with Jesus, that witness the miracles of Jesus, these apostles of anyone would be teaching sound doctrine, not doctrine that is confusing, not doctrine that is leading others astray, not doctrine that is throwing up red flags to the nation. They're going to be teaching sound biblical doctrine day by day. And the ones that are being saved are submitting themselves to that teaching, not trying to usurp that teaching, not trying to change that teaching. They're going to continue to teach and, and believe what these apostles have taught them. So when they teach it to others, it's what they've learned, which is sound doctrine right from their mouths, which they themselves have learned from Jesus Christ, their Lord. So day by day, they went to the temple and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all that had any need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So they go back and they break bread in their homes. They're they're a communal people. They love one another. They love Jesus. They love the Lord. And they praised God. But the centrality of Pentecost and the days that followed was the word of God. The central thing was the gospel. And that is what kept going forth day in and day out is the only thing that goes out and has the power to save. A testimony doesn't have the power to save. A song doesn't have the power to save. But the preaching and proclamation of the gospel alone saves people. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And again, verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, we have not heard of mass salvations coming out of any of these revivals. Much of what we see is singing and, and lifting of hands and, and, and worshiping through song, which there's nothing uh, bad about that. That's actually good, especially uh, if we sing doctrinally rich songs. However, some of these songs that are being played and sang at these revivals are not doctrinally rich. They're coming from heretical sources, but that's another episode, another topic, another time. But I do want you to see what people are calling a revival. The central theme is the Bible. Is the gospel? I mentioned last night that at Asbury, some somebody stood up and said, "I f- I feel the the spirit of impatience when they open the Bible." Unfortunately, it was a woman, but I digress. Um, but people in the this revival in this auditorium were impatient because they were ready to get back to singing. She said, "I promise, just a few minutes in the Word, and then we'll get back to singing." That's not what the early church experienced when they went through Pentecost, to, or if you want to call it their revival. That's not what they did. There was not a spirit of impatience when the word was taught. As a matter of fact, Peter preaches a long, bold sermon here, even going back and and inciting the Old Testament and bringing that back into uh, the sermon, which is preaching the word of God. So we see this day by day, going to the temple, listening to the word, hearing the word preached, hearing the gospel, and the Lord added to their number day by day. And that is what the revival looked like 
a, a central theme on the word, prayer, community, and praising God together day by day. And uh, all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the book of Acts, we see this. We see the early church do these things, and then persecution hits, and they don't stop, or uh, the, the city doesn't complain about the traffic, and then they have to shut this thing down. Uh, in the midst of their persecution, they scatter, the gospel goes forth, and that is how we have the gospel today. So let's look briefly now at another passage of Scripture that I've heard people calling a uh, a revival in the text. And that, again, as I mentioned, is John chapter 4 with Jesus and the woman at the well, uh, Jesus and the woman of Samaria. Uh, and uh, uh, Jews and Samaritans did not get along. It was kind of like the Bloods and the Crips, if you want to kind of know a modern-day version of it. They just didn't like each other, and the Jews thought they were some sort of half-breeds and and uh, just didn't want to associate with them. And, and many people would go the long way around to avoid Samaria. But Jesus went right through there because he knew that he had to sit at this well with this woman. And in this text, he says to her, well, they have a conversation. They go back and forth, and and, and she says, he tells her to give her some water, and, and she says, you don't even have anything to draw it out. And uh, he said, if you knew who it was that asked you for a drink, you would know that I give living water and uh, all those things. So they have a conversation. She tries to shift the conversation about uh, worship and where people worship. And Jesus says, but the hour is coming is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So uh, let's see. Let me look down here. And this is a different Bible. You ever grab a different Bible? And uh, verse 16 is what I want to look at. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And then this is when she shifts the conversation to worshiping on this mountain, and, and then Jesus says "Those are there's a time coming and is already here when those who worship the, uh, the, the, the Father will worship in spirit and truth. And then verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or uh, what do you, why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of, the, out of the town and were coming to him. So this woman comes to this well in the middle of the day because she is likely considered a, a whore and uh, doesn't have any friends there in this village. And she has to come when everybody else has already gone so she wouldn't get made fun of, mocked, laugh at, whatever the case may be. So she's here in the middle of the day, and Jesus shows up, and he begins to talk to her and have a conversation with her to, and then tells her that I am he, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah that is to come. And she drops her water jar, goes back and tells everybody about a man who told her everything about her. Could this be the Christ? And everybody came to see. So uh, that is what people are calling a revival. Um, and it goes on to say that when they came, verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days, and many more believed because of his word. Because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And after the two days, he departed for Galilee. So we see Jesus here. When these people came back to Jesus, they had conversations with Jesus. They listened to Jesus teach, and they listened to Jesus teach his word. They didn't come back and sing Kumbaya or Reckless Love. They came back and listened to Jesus preach the gospel. They listened to Jesus preach about himself. They listened to Jesus preach the word, likely from the Old Testament, as he did with the disciples, as you get to the end of Luke. 
in Luke chapter 24, he preaches the he preaches to the disciples the gospel concerning himself from the Old Testament. So that is likely what he did with the woman at the well. And many people believed because of his word. Again, not because they came and had prayer and, and it says he stayed there two days and many people believed. And then he left for Galilee. But we don't see what happens here, but we know for two days, people hung on every word Jesus said and people were saved. So when we think about revival, we've got to think clearly and we've got to think biblically. And we've got to think about not trying to reproduce what is ha what somebody else has done in another part of the nation or in another state. We need to be obedient to the word of God. Now, I, want, I told you I would tell you um, that Jonathan Edwards has a five-fold test when it comes to Revival, And I think this is very good for us when we consider what a revival is. And then we line up what we see in the name of a revival to the word of God, because a lot of people, again, are wanting revival. It's clear by Facebook posts and Twitter feeds and all of these things that people are longing for revival. But we need to test it. And then we need to look how God sparks revival through the ordinary means of grace. But first, let's look at this fivefold test. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna show it to you on the screen here. I'm just gonna start reading it off. Um, but Jonathan Edwards gives us five marks whereby a work of the Holy Spirit of God may be distinguished. So number one, and this is what I just told you, what we've looked at in two different texts in the New Testament. Number one, it should convince men of Christ and lead them to Him in the assurance that He is the Son of God sent to save sinners. Now, the talk at, at, at this one revival is Jesus loves you so much. Jesus is love, 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 love. Jesus is love and accepting and cares for you and loves you so much. That's not the gospel. If that's the gospel, we're all going to hell. But that is not the biblical gospel. So if it is a true revival, it would convince men of Christ and lead them to the assurance that he is the son of God and he is sent to save sinners, which means they would repent of their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would see salvations just like we did in the book of Acts and the book of John with the woman at the well and the people of Samaria. Uh, so that is the first distinguishing mark that a revival should do. The second one, it should operate against the interests of Satan's kingdom, causing men to forsake sin and to set their affections on the things that are above. If you were to go back and listen to a couple of episodes before this one, you would see that the homosexuality thing is in play at some of these. Well, let me just say it, Asbury Revival. Uh, gays and queers leading worship that has been affirmed. Although celibate, they still carry the name. Uh, one leading advocate for the the revival has is a a gay queer person that is attracted to men. Although celibate, I believe this is darkness and light trying to coexist, and it just won't happen. A true revival would operate against the interests of Satan's kingdom. Satan's kingdom wants you to believe that it's okay to identify as gay or queer, although be celibate, but identify that way. But Jesus and his kingdom says, absolutely not. This is an abomination. If you are truly in Christ, that is who you once were. You are now a child of the king. You are a son or daughter of God. You have been adopted into this family and you no longer have that identity, but your identity is Christ Jesus, and you take that away. But these two things, they wrestle and they war with each other, and the Satan's kingdom is in full effect. And, and, and then even whatever you believe about deliverance ministry, I believe it is a sin. I believe it is not real. I believe it is phony. I believe it is very damaging. So to see this happen on the floor uh, this is part of Satan's kingdom, this uh, uh, this demonic stuff in this demonic realm. And then to hear this man say, if, if this is new to you or if you have questions or if you're confused, come over and talk to our team. They'll be able to help you out. This is not causing men to forsake their sin and to set their affections on things of above. This is a me-centered, quote-unquote, revival. God loves you. God loves me. God loves us for who we are. We can be celibate but still be queer. No, you can't. That's not of God. So this is obviously not happening, and 
Satan's kingdom is advancing just as much in this quote unquote revival, again, in my opinion, because people are not forsaking their sin and setting their affections on things that are above. Number three, it should lead men to a greater regard for the Holy Scriptures as the Word of God. Man, they should be preaching the Bible constantly. I think the Word should be taught and preached and the gospel, true gospel, gone forth way more than any singing, any dancing, any uh, demonic screaming, any flag twirling, anything that you can think of. I believe the reading of the scriptures, the preaching of the text, the preaching and proclamation of the gospel, uh, along with prayer, praying the scriptures, praying the Bible, uh, should be 90% of what is happening. And that I think that is what's going to happen in a true revival. Your affections will be set on the Holy Scriptures. You will have a greater regard for the Holy Scriptures of the Word of God. And if that happens, you're going to throw away the, the labels of gay and queer. Uh, but I don't think we've seen that happen. And uh, we've seen it more affirmed than anything, which is troubling. So a true revival will, will give you a greater desire and need and want for the Word of God. Number four, it should awaken the ability to discern spiritually between truth and error, light and darkness. I have been telling you this for three episodes now that there is a lot of darkness mixed with some light at this thing. And there are people there that if this is truly affecting them the way that they say it is, they should be able to discern what is happening. And, and Mr. Elijah, who we talked about on the last episode, when he sees that his gay and queer friends are leading worship, if this revival is changing people, all of them that have seen this should go up to them and say, get off the stage now. This is not of God. You should not be up here. You need to repent, calling them to repentance and faith. But uh, we don't see any discernment. As a matter of fact, the longer this thing is gone, the more we see that is darkness. We see fire tunnels being promoted, and they say they are encouraged out on the lawn. Uh, but because it has rained, watch your step because it could be muddy and uh that is something that it's just kind of evolved into a greater sinfulness and red flag, and the the, the Satan wraps himself up as a as a as an angel of light, right? So I think we've seen as the days have progressed, this thing is getting worse and worse, and there seems to be no discernment. Five, and, and lastly, it should manifest a spirit of love both to God and to one's fellow men. So it should cause us to have a deeper love for God, his word, and a deeper love for one another. And, you know, as we read the text, a deeper love for one another is actually admonishing one another, holding one another accountable, gently rebuking sin and love and uh, encouraging one another. All of those things are acts of love if done from a biblical perspective. But this is the, what we've seen unfold is more of the care bear I love you, or the Barney, I love you, I love you, you love me, we're one big happy family with a great big hug and a kiss from me to you. Won't you say you love me too? That's kind of the thing that we've seen here when we think about the love coming out of this revival. But this is not the love that the God of the Bible talks about us having. So we must have a deep and um, just a, a deep and passionate and intimate love for the things of God, for God himself, for Christ and the Holy Spirit. And we must love others the way that God has taught us to love through his word. And it's not the Care Bear Barney theology. It is a deep, meaningful love that holds each other accountable, that pushes each other to holiness and, and strives uh, to give God glory in all things, not just be continually involved in some chaotic thing called a revival. So uh, that's the fifth thing. And, and those and let me let me read those again to you. So the, the five marks whereby a work of the spirit of God may be distinguished. Number one, it should convince men of Christ and lead them to him in the assurance that he is the son of God sent to save sinners. So people should be getting saved. Many people should be getting saved. It should operate against the interest of Satan's kingdom, causing men to forsake sin and to set their affections on the things that are above. It should lead men to a greater regard for the Holy Scriptures as the word of God. It should awaken the ability to discern spiritually between truth and error, light and darkness. And finally, it should manifest a spirit of love both to God and to one's fellow 
men, a lot of the manifestation that they are talking about it. Uh, this Asbury revival is the manifestation of embarrassment and uh, impatience and things like that, not a spirit of love to God and to one another. We can't truly love one another until we learn how to love God rightly. And uh, we learn how to love God rightly through his word that must must be preached and must uh, be exalted. So I'm going to close this now. We've been going roughly 45 minutes. So if you want to see a revival, I believe that God is going to bring revival through the ordinary means of grace. And what do I mean by that? Number one, he's going to bring revival by you getting in the word of God, by opening your Bible and you opening the, to the text and you finding scriptures and you reading your Bible. Many people want to forsake reading their Bible and want to run six hours away to Wilmore, Kentucky to experience revival when they don't open their Bibles at home. Open your Bibles. Just think about this for a minute. If everybody that professes faith in Christ would open their Bibles, would actually read them, would actually study them, would actually understand what God has said, and again, when you read your Bible, it's not what it means to you. Uh, good hermeneutics would say, thus saith the Lord, not what this means to me. So truly understanding what God has said through his word is very beneficial. So uh, just to begin with, the ordinary means of grace is opening the Bible and reading them and, and, and doing what it says. That's as simple as that. And then... We do what it says, and then I believe it's important that we read the Bible, study the Bible, but pray the Bible. We should pray the scriptures. We should um, be praying, and, and I've been reading a book that I, I received yesterday. It's called Praying the Bible by Donald Whit Whitney. It's awesome. So just real briefly, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time doing this, but you can do this with any part of the Bible. But we, talk, we were talking about the Psalms in there and, and praying the Psalms. And uh, it's, it's real simple. You just take a psalm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And once you read that, that sign or that line, Father, help me not walk in the path of the wicked. Help me not live in sin. Help me uh, put away every sin that's in my life. Bring to me any sin that I may not realize. Uh, and then you pray all the things that you can think about from that line. And then you say, uh, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You can say, please don't let me sit uh, with evil men and women. Help me not follow uh, down a path that is wide open that leads to destruction. Then you get, but his delight is in the Lord. Uh, just Then you can pray, Lord, help me delight in your word. Help me find peace and rest and comfort in your word. Help me live by your word. So read the Bible, study the Bible, understand the Bible, pray the Bible, and then be obedient to what the Bible says. Don't just learn it and don't just uh, try to get a, a head knowledge so that you can be all uh, smart when it comes to theological conversations. Take what the Bible says and be obedient to what the Bible says. Do what the Bible says. Think about it again. If everyone that professed faith in Christ actually opened their Bible and read it and then did what it said, could you imagine the change that would happen in our world if people would just simply be obedient day in and day out to the Scriptures? And when they do sin, that they would fall on their face in repentance and fall back in line with the things of God and keep their eyes focused on the things of God and continue to live in that and, and be obedient as they follow Christ? Can you imagine what would happen? So we've got reading and studying the Bible, being obedient to the Bible, praying the Bible. Then I believe you should find yourself connected to a local church, a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching local church who puts emphasis on the Word, emphasis on prayer, emphasis on doctrinally rich songs, and you find that church and you join that church, you fellowship with that church, and you attend that church regularly, week in and week out on the Lord's Day, on midweek Bible studies, if that is, if they, your church has that. But I think it's very important that we link up with a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. And then, simply, if you want revival, pray for it. 
Pray that these things would happen. Pray that people that you know would actually take these things seriously. Pray that you, for the people you work with to be saved. Pray that your family members would be saved. Your kids would be saved. And not only just be saved, not just get their quote-unquote fire insurance that we've talked about in the Baptist world especially. They don't just get their fire insurance. They don't just repeat a prayer or walk an aisle. That is not biblical. We don't see that in the Scriptures. But they repent of their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are saved. That is what we want to see people do is be saved. They want to, we want to see people uh, focusing on the things of God, Colossians chapter 3, not on things of this world. We want to see people renewing their minds, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We don't want to see people being conformed to this world, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We want to see people changed. We want to see people living for the glory of God and everything that they do, everything that they say, that they do and say for the glory of God. Everything that they eat, they do it for the glory of God. Everything for the glory of God. That is how I believe we will see revival. So if you haven't been doing these things, start right now. If you've made it this far, it is not too late to start. We can see revival. Pray for it and pray that we would see these distinguishing marks that Jonathan Edwards talked about. But until then, we're just going to sit back and watch some emotional driven sensationalism type thing play out in our culture. That is void of the scriptures, void of uh, of true biblical doctrine, that is void of true biblical prayers and void of the things of God. So we must take the things of God seriously. We must interpret the Bible seriously. We must let scripture interpret scripture and we must pray for revival. But I believe the old saying goes, revival starts with us. It starts in our homes, men. It starts with you. It starts with you leading your wives. It starts with you leading your kids. And then you go out from there, and you begin serving and leading in the church, and you do all these things for the glory of God and pray that he would set people's hearts in motion for the things of him and for his glory. And then I think we will see a true revival play out right here in America and beyond. So those are some things I wanted to start you out with a warning. I wanted to show you what some revival looks like in the scriptures that people have been pointing to and how that differs from what we've been seeing. I wanted to show you the five marks of revival from Jonathan Edwards, which I believe are very, very good. Uh, I, I believe that we should take those and consider them well every time we look at something that claims to be a revival. And then I wanted to show you how you can have revival and see revival in this nation by the ordinary means of grace. And again, that's Bible reading, prayer, joining with a local church, leading your families, and doing all things for the glory of God. And finally, praying for revival. So I hope this has been helpful to help you kind of discern what's happening, to kind of see what true revival looks like and what the Bible looks like uh, and the emphasis it puts on the word and the gospel and then looking at the marks and then ultimately the ordinary means of grace, which revival comes. Um, I would love for you to continue to comment. If you're new to the channel, I'd love for you to subscribe and like this video and, and maybe hit that little bell thing. I usually don't ask people to do that, but I know it helps this content go further if you do that. And uh, I've been getting some really awesome comments um, and uh, seeing some really good perspectives from people from both sides of this thing. And uh, it's all been pretty respectful for the most part. And I uh, really enjoyed seeing the comments. I really enjoyed kind of laying this out. And uh, now I do think that this is going to be the final episode that I deal with Asbury intentionally. It may come up in the future just as a looking back or maybe talk about something else that has happened or or whatever the case may be. But it won't be an intentional episode to come out and, and speak about Asbury and the revival or anything else that that is remotely considered a revival. So I hope this has been of, of help to you. hope it's been encouraging to you. If not, I'd still like to hear from you. Until next time, hope you have a great day, great week, and God bless.